In all of my years of watching sports, I have noticed something about championship teams. All of these teams, regardless of the sport, always have a junk player, a utility player, uh, somebody who can come off the bench and play a variety of roles. Now, they're not great at any role that they play, but they're good enough at a lot of different roles that it makes them valuable to the team. In fact, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, has a six-man award which goes to the player who has played this role the best in the past season. A lot of times, championships are decided not by the stars, but by this role player, this utility player, who finds their moment and makes the most of it. We never hear about that player again sometimes. We never heard of them before, but for that moment, they were the ones who made the difference. Even when we read Bible stories, even when we read the stories of salvation and Jesus' ministry, we pay attention to the stars. We pay attention to those names that everybody knows. Uh, David, Abraham, Solomon, uh, Paul, Peter, John. But when you read the stories, all the stories, the stories in between, you find out that a huge difference was made in the history of the church, in the history of faith, by men and women who were utility players in the kingdom of God. They could do a lot of different things pretty well which sometimes made them the very best person for this part of God's story. Stand with me in reverence of God's word and let's read the theme passages for Brentwood Baptist Church. Acts 13, one through four. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were worshiping the, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after they fasted and prayed and laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, they sent them off. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. From the calling of Paul and Barnabas to this very moment, the mission hasn't changed. What has changed is who's doing that mission. So we pray as you sent out those two so long ago that this would be the morning, this would be the time that you sent out us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Yes, we have read this passage before. Yes, you should know it almost by heart now. This story of the early church gathering together, praying together, worshiping together, and then being led by a prophet. Now get this, we don't even know this guy's name. He's the one who called Paul to the missionary field. He's the one who sent Paul out on this first missionary journey. And we don't even know the guy's name. Utility player, 
somebody who was needed in the moment, somebody who stepped up in the moment, but after that moment is gone, then the story goes to someone else. You know, anytime you read the story, anytime you read any of the calling stories, a few weeks ago, we read uh, the story of Isaiah's call and how Isaiah was, was called to be the prophet to his people. And God calls out, who will we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, send me, I will go. You know, there's some interesting things not in that passage. Where's he to go? What's he to do when he gets there? How is he to get it done? The only thing we know in that story is that God needs someone to go, and Isaiah goes. The rest, the rest we figure out along the way. Even the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. He leaves out everything else how they are to go, what they are to do, how the church is to look. All of these details are left unanswered. It's as if Jesus is saying, once you go, I'll show you the rest. Once you get serious enough that you're actually on the move, then I will show you what's next. We're never told everything. Now, what makes this interesting for us is we are in a time in church history where we literally do not know what's going to happen next. We can't figure it out. We shouldn't be too worried. Nobody in any area of our life can figure out what's next. Employers can't figure out what to do with employees. Do they work at home? Do they come into the office or do they do both? We don't know. We don't know if shoppers are going to return to shopping centers. Will they come to the mall? Will they come to a store? Do they like going to a boutique, a boutique store? Or do, do they just want to sit at home and do it all online? We can't figure it out. Nobody can figure it out. Education, do we keep our kids at home? Do we send our kids? What do we do? Nobody can figure this out in any area of our life. We shouldn't be too concerned or too taken back that we can't figure out what's next with church. COVID didn't break anything. COVID did show us what was broken. And what we found out is that a lot of our people are woefully unprepared to be able to share the gospel with their neighbors, to be able to talk uh, intelligently about the faith with friends that they have, even those friends who are going through a very hard time. COVID also brought a sense of urgency. We recognize that the changes that we thought would happen over the next five or 10 years are now happening in the next 18 months. That means all of us have got to be ready. All of us. Now, I understand you say, well, Mike, I, I don't have that gift. Let's, let's stop here and talk just a minute about gifts. We believe all of you are uniquely gifted. We believe all of you have something significant, important, valuable to bring to the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God. But sometimes I think we hide behind the gifts. 
That is, we say, well, Mike, I have this gift, but I don't have those gifts. I wish I had the gift of compassion, but I don't, so I can't be involved in caring for my neighbors. I, I wish I had the gift of teaching, but I don't have the gift of teaching, so I really don't know that I'd be any good at making a disciple. You see what we do? We say, well, we don't have that gift, so then we don't do it. If you follow the life of Paul, here's what you find out is interesting. God gives Paul whatever gift he needs next. Paul is given more gifts. Now, when we're introduced to Paul, Paul is a preacher. He is an evangelist in the purest sense of the word. Notice how his career matures. He becomes a pastor. Now, you can read from Paul's letters that he had a difficult time hanging around people. He had high expectations. People frustrated him. But he became a very, very compassionate pastor who loved his churches fiercely. He became an apologist. That is, he could argue the faith both to the Jewish community and to the Greek community. He learned to write letters. Sometimes when you read Paul's letters, you can hear the frustration, I wish I could be with you. I wish I could be in front of you. I wish I could explain this to you face to face, but I can't. I'm in jail. He learned to write. Yes, you do have a unique, a unique gift. But as you are obedient, as you are trusted with more things, God will give you more gifts. You'll have what you need for the moment, just like the Israelites had manna for the day. But only if you get serious about evangelism. Now, you're going to say, well, Mike, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You may not. I have friends who have that gift. And they can engage in an evangelistic gospel conversation with anybody, anytime, anywhere. It is an amazing gift to have. Not all of us have the gift of evangelism. We all have the call to be evangelistic. Hear the difference? You may not have the gift of evangelism. All of us have the call to be evangelistic. All of us have the call to share the good news of Jesus Christ, which should be the easiest thing to do. I tell you this all the time. We don't have to train grandparents to get on social media to tell the world about their newest grandbaby. Grandparents all of a sudden become social media ninjas to tell the world about the best looking baby that's ever been born. We don't have to train a newly engaged young lady how to tell, tell the church that now she's engaged. She knows that universal sign of look at my hand, look at my ring, I'm engaged. Good news is naturally and easily shared. If Christ is in you, if Christ is working through you, then you work out of that overflow. So sharing the good news of who he is and what he's doing in your life should be one of the easiest things that you do. All of us have the call to be evangelistic.
Now, Paul and Barnabas weren't told where to go. They weren't told what to do. So what did they do? They went to Barnabas' hometown. They went to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. Maybe that's a hint. Maybe the next place you should go would be the place that you know best, will be the place that is nearest to you. Simply go to where you know to go. Go to wherever is next for you. Start there. See who the Lord brings to your mind. See who the Lord brings into your conversation and start there. Be serious about your training. The day is over when we can hire a professional clergy to do all the ministry that we need to have done. That day is gone. The future is going to be bivocational, co-vocational, volunteers, people who start churches in their homes, people who start Bible studies in their homes that become congregations, teachers who become pastors, teachers who become disciple makers, average people who now in this moment find out that they are the utility player of the kingdom and I can do whatever needs to happen on any given day to make sure the gospel is proclaimed. I can work in preschool. I can work with teenagers. I can work in the student ministry. I can work with young adults. I I can preach. I can lead music. I can sing. I can worship. I can be an usher. I can work in the parking lot. I can do whatever it takes so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel. The difference isn't made by stars. It's made by utility players. People who are good at a lot of things but never great at anything who find their moment. And in that moment, find greatness. Get trained. Get in a group. Start learning the great good news that we call the gospel. Practice. Some of you are scared to share your faith because you are afraid somebody will answer, ask a question you don't know how to answer. Well, practice answering it. Practice with your friends. Practice while you're driving in the car. What would I say if somebody asked me this? Practice. And then go to the next place where you know to go. Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus. The place you need to go is probably closer than you think. This is going to be an exciting year for us. A lot of the things that we have prayed for, planned for, are going to come to fruition this year. And here's your pastor who can tell you what this means for you and your campus. Morning. Three words. Focus facade, and find. Focus, facade, and find. First, focus. What's West Franklin? What are the areas of focus for the next six months to a year? What are we going to focus on? Well, one is coming whether we like it or not. And that is 
this place is going to be totally renovated. And so we're going to have to adjust to some things. There's going to be a season where we're going to be worshiping in the fellowship hall. There's going to be a, a season where the fellowship hall, fellowship hall is not going to be usable for groups. Starting, God willing, November the 8th, uh, everything will begin. We're going to have some dates to give you about when things are going to shift from in here to over there and that kind of thing. But the renovations are going to be happening and they're going to take about six months or so if everything goes according to plan. Something I wish we were already past and on the other side of, but they're coming and I'm very, very excited about the outcome of them. I don't want us to waste a second of this season. There's going to be about three, four, maybe five months where we're going to be worshiping in the fellowship hall. It's not going to be a traditional venue. It's not going to be a contemporary venue. It's a fellowship hall. And we're going to be sitting in chairs that came over with the Reagan administration. We're going to have an opportunity to find out if we really want to worship God or not. If this really is all about God. It's not going to be about a place for a while. Are we really going to allow ourselves to meet with God? I don't want us to waste it. Next Sunday night, God willing, October 10th, we're going to meet in here and we're going to celebrate the last seven years of us being a campus and some of the things that God has done in this room and other places for the last seven years. And then we're going to go across the hall to the fellowship hall and do what we do best, and that's eat and laugh. <laughs> but I don't want us to waste it. When we gather in that fellowship hall, I believe the Spirit of God can meet us there. And when the renovations are done, God willing by Easter, when they're done, I don't want us to see it just as a place that's attractional. I want us to see this as a hub where we make disciples who make disciples, a launching pad. Let's not waste it. Areas of focus, we're gonna focus on renovations. We're gonna focus on the next generation birth through 12th grade. Thanks to some rock star volunteers and some rock star leaders, our next gen area is functioning fairly well considering the swinging door of leaders we've had in and out of this church over the past seven years. We are currently looking for a full-time next gen minister. And one of his or her main goals will be to put, help us put together a strategy so that when our children graduate high school, we'll be able to, they'll be able to say they have a vibrant, authentic relationship with Jesus and they know how to help others have a relationship with Jesus. We're going to do everything we can to put together a strategy so that we can help our children graduate high school and say, we live on mission for Jesus. I think everybody here knows that there's something to be desired with our next gen area. But I think everybody here knows that there is incredible potential 
for our next gen area. Now, when this person gets hired, and please pray for this person, I have no idea who it is. He or she is not going to do it all. I want every one of us to engage in however we can to help the next generation. Every one of us. Renovations, next gen groups. The groups is the tip of the, the groups are the tip of the spear of whether or not we are going to be a healthy church. Being in a small group will be the meat and potatoes of us having kingdom impact in Franklin. That's it. If we're going to be a healthy church, not just now, but long term, it will be if everyone is, a, is in a group. So I long for, one of the things we're going to focus on is having everyone in a group. And we're going to put a lot of attention in what happens in these groups. So it's growing and going, right? Spiritual growth and missional outreach. That's what, that's what it's going to be about so that we can do something in our community, which I believe there's incredible potential, but it's going to happen through our groups. And so I would love to see, some, some of us are going to have to be really flexible in how we do groups, especially starting with the, with the renovations. How, how are they going to look? What, what are we going to do? How is, how is this going to happen here? Some of us are going to need to be thinking, okay, how can we have groups outside in our neighborhoods. I would love to have four or five or six groups meeting in West Haven. It's a, it's a, it's a mission field ripe for harvest. By the way, the original founders of the church that led us to this campus put this place here or led this church to be here because they heard a community called West Haven was going to be built. And it's been 20-something years and we haven't made a dent. God's got some, many of you living there. And it's not by accident. Focus, areas of focus, renovations, next gen groups. Now, facade. You know what facade means? It's spelled like facati. You got that little thing under the sea? Facade. It means you put on a nice air, a nice face to cover up an unpleasant reality. And I believe there's a facade here. And the facade is many of us think that if we attend a worship service, we're an active member. The facade is if we come here and sit once or twice a month, then we are an active church member. That's a facade. You heard of the Pareto principle? How about this? The 80-20 rule? Yep. 80-20 rule. 80-20 rule means 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's true in businesses. From what I hear, I know it's true in churches. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's the, way it's, that's the way it usually goes in most churches. I don't want to be most churches, but that's the way it usually goes. Um, we have around 400 or so that watch either in, or in, the, in the room every Sunday or online. So that means 20%, about 50 people do most of the work. That's about right. That's about how it's been since I've been here. Now I factor in COVID. A lot of our regular volunteers before COVID have either started going to another church, 
haven't come back yet, or really enjoy Bedside Baptist. All the churches are experiencing it. It's not just ours. This sermon is not for them. But if it's true, and it is, that means the the 80-20 rule is more like 90-20. 20% of the people are doing 90% of the work. Or 10% of the people are doing 80% of the work. There's less people required to do more work. Because a lot of our volunteers, not a lot, but several of our key volunteers have not returned from COVID. Why do I tell you that? Because if we're ever going to be a healthy church, it means you asking, why did God bring me here? And how has God wired me to make this place what God desired it to be? You know how many names were listed in Acts 13, 1 through 3 that Mike just read a few minutes ago? Five names in the church in Antioch. Barnabas, Saul, Manaean, Lucius, love me some Lucius, and Simeon. How many were sent out? Barnabas and Saul, 40% of the leadership. Do you think Barnabas and Saul were active in the church at Antioch? Okay, all right, just making sure. I know the lights were low a few minutes while Mike was preaching. I stayed up late last night. I get it. 40% of the leadership left. They said, well, the church died. Well, no, you keep reading, the church in Antioch kept getting healthy. Huh, Barnabas and Saul were sent out. Somebody else has got to step in. COVID knocks some people out. Somebody else has got to step in. I hope within a few years we're sending more people out to, healthy, to help, healthy, uh, help churches become more and more healthy than somebody else. I got to step in. The facade is you can be active in a local church and just sit and just attend once or twice a month. That is a facade. It's not what God has for you. And if we're ever going to reach our full potential, if God's called you here, it's for a reason. Which leads me to the last word. Focus, facade, find. How did they find out what God's will was for them? What was their strategy for determining what God had for them next? You know what Acts 13 verse 2 says? They worshiped, they fasted, and they listened. Let me read it to you. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What's your strategy to get your people going, to get your people sent, to get your people to live on mission in in and around the church at Antioch? What are you going to do, Paul? I'm going to call the church to pray, to worship, and to fast. And to listen. That's kind of scary because my strategy tends to be, has tended to be, I throw out a bunch of needs, give you a long list of our needs, then I sprinkle in some guilt and shame, which ought to be ashamed for that. I shouldn't do that. I sprinkle in some guilt and shame, and then I plead with you to sign up. And some of you do. But it never works because nobody likes to be guilted or shamed into anything. I don't. And the people that do sign up, they flame out after about three months. 
You know why? Because the spirit didn't tell them to. They just felt bad. I know because I do. I've done it. What's the strategy? How do you know what God's calling you to do next? Worship, fast, and listen. So as we close, we're going to spend some time in worship at the end of this service, but I want you to listen to me. I want to call every one of us, whether you're in the room or whether you're at home watching online, if you're a part of West Franklin, I want to call each of us for the next 21 days to take five minutes a day and say, Lord, what would you have me do next at the church at West Franklin? And listen to him. That's it. Some of you got scared I was going to call you not to eat for 21 days. I said, I've got to take my pill. I'm sorry. Starting today, five minutes a day, just you and the Lord. You have me at the church at West Franklin. What do you want? What do you want from me, Father? You say, is that worshiping and fasting and, and listening? Well, tell, you tell me. When you, when you stop and ask the Lord anything, you're acknowledging that he's alive. You're acknowledging that he has an answer. You're acknowledging that he knows how everything fits together and he's going to speak to you. That sounds like worship to me. If you pause five minutes every day for the next 21 days, that's an hour and 45 minutes. If you take an hour and 45 minutes over the next 21 days, you are saying you're not going to do something so you can do something else for an hour and 45 minutes. That sounds a lot like fasting to me. And I believe the Lord is out of his tomb and he's alive and well and can speak to you. So I want to call you starting today to say, Jesus, what do you have for me next? Some of you, he's going to say, keep doing what you're doing. Others of you, he's going to say, go wipe a diaper. No, you don't wipe a diaper. You wipe what's in the diaper, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Others of you, I want you to start a Bible study in your home. Others of you, I want you to start a life group here at this church. I don't know, but I know the Spirit of God has brought you here for a reason. And we have a precedent that when a church worships the Lord and fasts and listens, He speaks. So that's my challenge. I want us to meet with God. Whether we're in here in the fellowship hall or in a renovated building, let's have God among us. And let's listen and obey. Jesus, I want to thank you for Acts 13. I want to thank you for Pastor Mike and his challenge. I want to thank you for the church at West Franklin. Father, I don't know what tomorrow, what next month, what six months, what a year from now looks like. I don't. But I know you're going to be there. And I believe I'm speaking to people who want to join you in what you're doing and who want to be used by you to make a kingdom impact. So Jesus, speak to us. Remind us every day for at least the next 21 days to just pause, be alone with you for five minutes 
ask you to show us what next and then listen for your voice. And may we start it right now as we worship and as we seek you, give us ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the musicians back up and I'm gonna close out with several songs. This is a time for you to meet with the Lord, for you to sing to the Lord, for you to hear from the Lord. If you need to make your seat an altar, if you need to come to these steps and make them an altar, Usually the, most of the front row of every Baptist church is wide open, so you can come and just kneel here if you'd like to do that. Let's not waste these next few minutes. Maybe there's something that Mike said that spoke to your heart. Maybe there's something that I, I just said that kind of spoke to your heart. Maybe there's something in Acts 13. You need to just turn there and read that and say, God, speak to me. I don't know, but let's just listen to the Lord and be obedient. So as Brad and the musicians lead us, you be led by the Spirit and respond.